I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. From PRX. It's LiveWire, recorded from our actual homes. Welcome to the LiveWire House Party. This week with writers Cheryl Strayed and John Mualem, and music from Charlie Brand of Miniature Tigers. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello. And now, live and direct from a small room just off his kitchen, the host of LiveWire, Luke Burbank. Thank you, Elena Passarello. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Yes, I have my own sound effect box that I I have here with me because, uh, I, I, Elena, if I tell a joke and I don't have the roar and laughter of the crowd to, to let me know that it was funny, I mean... Was it even a funny joke? That's true. That, that's the, the tree, forest, one hand clapping yeah. Cohen of Livewire house party. Wow. There's your English professor background. You brought a Cohen into the show <laughs> one minute in. And I think I misused it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, What do you think of our uh, snappy new Livewire house party theme music? I love it. It has a kind of like, remember MTV Unplugged? That was what we were going for. Really? Ah. Yeah. That's the Livewire house band. That's A. Walker Spring, Ethan Fox Tucker, and Sam Tucker recording the tracks at their respective homes and then emailing them to each other and then building a song. Our band, I miss them so much. I wish they were here right now. Yeah. They are really a, a, an amazing creative force that probably doesn't get enough credit on the show. Mm. Uh, so we will be very excited to be reunited with them yeah. whenever we're all allowed back together in public. For the time being, though... We're doing this thing called the Livewire House Party. So it'll be me at my house. Elena is going to be at her house. We're going to have our guests join us from wherever it is they are sheltering in place. We have a really great show in store for everybody this week. The other cool thing about this version of the program is that you, the Livewire listeners, can check in virtually. Each week we're putting out an audience question and asking uh, you to give us your answer to that, and then we collect those up. This week the question to the audience was, what's the one non-essential thing you wish you had more of? And I was thinking about my answer to that question this week, Elena, and it's, it's right in front of me. I don't know if the uh, audience can hear this, but this is the sound of three 
Cadbury mini eggs, which is all I have left. And I have been rationing these things. I mean, they're definitely non-essential, right? Mm -hmm. Even if I run out, I cannot in good conscience go back to the grocery store to buy more, Mm. right? Because what I think we're sort of understanding, and I, I, I think rightfully so, is that we should all try to stay out of the stores unless it's very essential. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I would I would go to the store to buy toilet paper or to buy, uh, you know, some kind of real basic supply. But were I standing in line holding a bag of candy eggs, <laughs> I would, I feel like I would be inviting the scorn of everyone else in the store. And honestly, it would be probably deserved. Uh, what's your answer uh, to that audience question this week, Elena? What is a non-essential thing that you wish you had more of? I wish I had more episodes of The Masked Singer. Really? Mm-hmm. I know. I know. I I wouldn't have thought that... Well, actually, I totally would have thought that I would have been into it. But <laughs> now it is like my ray of sunshine, my yoga mm-hmm. class, my spiritual meditation. I used to watch it. It comes on Wednesday nights, and it is not David's thing. And he works on Wednesday nights in a restaurant. So I would quietly watch it by myself. But now he's home, and so I had to admit mm-hmm. to my love of Mass Singer, and he, he has to watch it with me. I, I take so much joy in the absurdity of that show and um you know sarah palin was on it dressed as a rainbow bear singing baby got back yes i was aware of that because the internet told me and it confirmed my suspicion that that is not the show for me no (laughs) but listen do you hear this disdain in my voice i'm the person who's power watching a show called below deck which is a reality show about people that work on a fancy yacht it's a very upstairs downstairs kind of thing so what are the LiveWire listeners saying as far as their answer to that question we put out there? What's the one non-essential thing you wish you had more of? Here's one from Sam. Sam would like better lighting for my video conference calls because I look like a troll. <laughs> huh. Did you know that there are now filters, you know, apps being made that will filter <gasps> your your face on the conference call so that you will maybe it will be a bit more flattering. And that would have just seemed like absolute madness to me a week ago. And now I'm trying to figure out how I can get that thing set up on this call. You can also change the background. So you could have like the diner from Saved by the Bell, the Max. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, Here's one from Bex. Bex wishes that Bex had more fancy hand lotion because my hands are suffering with all this washing. Yes. Ugh, yeah. The the skin on my hands is reflecting the fact that they are not used to being washed 30 times a day. Do you sing a song when you wash your hands? I uh, have been cycling through the songs. I did the Happy Birthday song twice. Then I started doing I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor because I saw a really charming video where she was singing it and washing her hands. Oh, yeah. Um, and I guess that's kind of where I'm at right now. What are you using? I use the Jeopardy theme song. One time through or twice? Uh, I do it as long as the final Jeopardy because I know that's 30 Mm -hmm. seconds. So then I get an extra 10 seconds. And then I sing alternate lyrics. So it'll be like, Uh I had sausage gravy again. I am going to gain 100 pounds. You know, like keeping it topical, right? Sure. All right. let's, uh, Let's get our first guest on the line. His new book is called This is Chance, The Shaking of an All American City. And um, it's the story of how the town of Anchorage, Alaska, responded uh, to an earthquake back in 1964. And I was reading it this week, and it just felt so relevant, I think, to a feeling that I think a lot of us are having right now, like our lives are in this very unpredictable place. Uh, So let's dial him up now. John Mualam, welcome to the Livewire House Party. 
Thank you so much for having me at your house party. This is very different than the last time we had you on Livewire. That was in a theater. There was a crowd. Uh, what for you uh, is a, is a more anxiety-producing thing to be like on a stage with real people, or to just be in a weird Zoom conference call with me and Elena? I think uh, this is more nerve-wracking. I mean, I've I've been on stage before. I've never been wedged into a weird <laughs> plush pillow in my bathroom talking to you on a computer uh, long distance. So uh, I I fear the new. <laughs> Um, aside from this recording, how generally are you holding up being mostly trapped at home? Uh, you know, pretty, pretty well, actually. I, I really don't have anything to complain about in my immediate life. Um, you know, I'm a writer who works at home. I go many, many days without seeing people. Usually it, it takes some effort for me to get within six feet of people usually. <laughs> so, um, I, it's, my life has really not changed to, to the degree that, uh, this kind of national crisis might make you think. Um, speaking of, of, of crises, let's start at the kind of, uh, critical moment of this book. This is chance, uh, that is coming out this week. It's the 1964 Alaska earthquake. Um, I have to admit, I was not familiar with this event, which as I read the book continued to completely shock me just in terms of its magnitude, um, literally and figuratively for people that don't remember this. Can you kind of give a sense of what an event this was? This happened on Good Friday evening uh, in Alaska in 1964, in March 1964. And yeah, it was a 9.2 magnitude quake. Um, It's the largest quake in North American history. It's the second largest in the world. And, you know, even more kind of um, brutal and surreal was that it, in Anchorage at least, the shaking lasted for about four and a half minutes. Um, I've been trying to describe it this way. So if you put on Stevie Wonder's I Just Called to Say I Love You when the shaking started, uh, the song would finish and then you would still sort of be thrashing around for another 10 seconds. Wow. <laughs> yeah. that You're writing about, uh, in particular, the experience of a journalist in Anchorage named Jeannie Chance, but you're writing about her and her son are in their car when it starts and she's trying to figure out what's going on. She thinks it's a blown tire and everything is swaying and buildings are coming apart and coming back together. And then you just mentioned casually that this is like almost five minutes. This earthquake was so unprecedented that people had a hard time wrapping their minds around what was actually happening, which I feel like is also being played out in the current day. Mm-hmm. You know, I read hundred, literally hundreds of firsthand accounts, uh, many of which were gathered up by this reporter, Jeannie Chance, after the quake. And this phenomenon happens again and again where you can just see that people cannot find the word or the idea to encapsulate what's happening to them that the world has just turned you know so bizarre uh during this time that it takes their minds uh, a little while to catch up even come up with the word earthquake you know like one guy is uh kneeling down by this car trying to start this car and he and he just feels his body heaving side to side and starts to feel dizzy and just assumes he's having a heart attack um, so yeah, there's this dissonance, there's this inability to, to realize that, you know, the world is actually convulsing. Uh, this is Livewire Radio. It's episode one of the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank. I'm at my actual house down at her house in Corvallis, is our announcer, Elena Passarello. And then John Wallam is here as well. He's the author of the new book, This is Chance, The Shaking of an All-American City. He is um, cocooned in his bathroom telling us about his new book. So this journalist, Jeannie Chance, who is kind of the centerpiece of this book, uh, what was her job at the time of this earthquake happening in Alaska? Yeah, Jeannie was uh, a pretty fascinating and unique 
figure for the time. You know, she was a, a woman, she'd worked in radio for a couple of years in Anchorage at the time of the quake, but really only in the last year or so had she uh, kind of transcended the expectations of what a woman should be doing in broadcasting at the time. So usually, you know, the few women that were working in radio, at least in Alaska at that time, were having, you know, recipe swap shows or shows about homemaking and things like that. You know, women's concerns is how one, one uh, letter I found described it. And whereas Jeannie really, um, you know, through her own talent and her own persistence, kind of muscled her way into this role as a kind of roving reporter around Anchorage. So she had this little radio unit in her car and she would just range all over Anchorage and all over the greater Anchorage area and report on whatever was, was going on. Um, you know, Jeannie Chance, KENI News on the Go. That was her sort of tagline. Um, and her voice was really part of the fabric of the city at that, at that time. It was a voice you'd hear every day kind of telling you what was happening in town. How did she end up in this role of kind of almost like crisis coordinator for this whole city? She was most surprised uh, of all, I think, initially. So it was really just a, a quirk of luck that she happened to be downtown when the earthquake hit. Um, and she was she was running an errand with her son. Uh, and so when the radio station finally got back on the air about an hour after the the um, the quake was was finished, she was really one of the only people at the station who was in any sort of position to describe what had just happened. She'd seen a lot of the damage downtown herself. She'd uh, kind of hustled around a lot of key areas downtown just trying to absorb what would happen so that when she got back on the air, she could report on it. And from there, she wound up actually broadcasting from inside the police station uh, for the next several days. So she was... Um, you know, passing messages from city officials, you know, we need diesel fuel over here, or uh, we need a doctor here. And then also passing messages from individual people trying to find their kids or their sisters or their husbands or to just tell those people that they were okay. And I think it must have been about three years ago, John, that I heard through the grapevine that you were doing a radio play about the Anchorage earthquake. Um, and I'm assuming that you hadn't written the book by then. So how, how did that factor into your process of getting this, of working through this project? That was um, a really phenomenal opportunity. Um, so I'd done a couple projects with a group of musicians, um, most of whom are members of the Decemberists, um, Portland's own. Oh, um, your, your theme song designers. Yeah. Yes, yes that's right. right. For your walking <laughs> yeah. podcast. Um, so we were, we were hoping to do another thing together and, uh, you know, we're given an opportunity to do that by, uh, the podcast 99% Invisible. Um, and at that time I was already gathering up some research about the quake and about Genie. And I thought, Oh, here's a chance to really, you know, clear the time to go a little bit deeper in here and see what's there. So it was really a way to test, um, you know, whether, whether it could be a book and yeah, we did some, we put together this show that was, uh, sort of me narrating the story of the quake with music and, uh, you know, 99% of visibles, Roman Mars and Avery Truffleman both played some of the characters. Mm -hmm. And so we did, uh, some touring with that in 2016 and 17. And I guess by that time, by the time we'd finished that project, I had just amassed so much material and I was just blown away by the resolution at which a lot of these stories had been captured and preserved mm -hmm. that it felt like, you know, how can I not uh, tell the story? I mean, literally people, I, I would track down survivors of the quake. Uh, and then, and some of these people, you know, they didn't live to see me finish the book. You know, it just really mm -hmm. felt like the story was slipping away. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was not, by the time we were done with that project, I was already pretty much off and running. It just didn't really even feel like a choice anymore. You're listening to episode one of the Livewire House Party. 
I'm Luke Burbank at my actual house. Elena Passarello is at her home. We're talking to John Mualam, who's at his house. And all of you are out there in listener land, wherever you might be. Thanks for hanging out with us. we got to take a quick break, but we will be right back in a moment. Livewire is supported in part by Fully. Based in Portland, Oregon, Fully is an amazing company that sells and distributes things that will help you feel healthier while you are being productive doing your work. How do I know this? Well, because I use a Jarvis standing desk from Fully when I am on stage recording Livewire. That's right. I can set that thing at any different height that works for me in that moment. It keeps the blood flowing, keeps uh, me feeling engaged. I think you can hear the results, my friends, coming through the radio and the podcast. If you would like to stay healthy and productive while you're being productive at your work, whether it's at home or in the office, you got to check out what the folks at Fully are doing. Go to Fully.com slash Livewire. That's F-U-L-L-Y.com slash Livewire. They've also got the Cooper Standing Desk Converter. That gives you the ability to set your desk at any height you want as well. And just uh, figure out a spot that works for you. I promise it'll make a difference in your in your work productivity and how good you'll feel at the end of the day. I know it has for me. I also use the TikTok stool when I'm at home doing all of my uh, radio show writing projects. Uh, it's made such a difference for me and for our whole Livewire staff, and I know you're going to have the same experience. So again, find out what Fully has got going on by heading over to Fully, that's F-U-L-L-Y, dot com slash Livewire. Welcome back to the Live Wire House Party, Episode 1. I'm Luke Burbank, broadcasting from a small room off my kitchen. Our announcer, Elena Passarello, is at her house in Corvallis, Oregon. Hey, Elena. Hey. Um, and uh, checking in from his house in Washington State is John Mualem. He's author of the new book, This is Chance, The Shaking of an All-American City. Uh, this book is about this 1964 earthquake that happened in Alaska and uh, was incredibly damaging to, in particular, Anchorage, Alaska. I have to say, John, as I was reading this book this week, uh, there were some things that were eerily similar to what we're all going through right now and some things that were very dissimilar. One thing that seemed to kind of echo for me was this this feeling for the folks living in Alaska at this time that everything about their life had changed in a matter of moments. Now, it's been more than five minutes that we've been dealing with the shutdowns around the country, but I think a lot of people are also having that sense that like life is never going to be the same. What what do you feel like you have gleaned about our current situation from having spent a bunch of time immersing yourself in the response that these folks had in Alaska in 1964? You know, one of the things that I think I first uh, related to in in the research that I was finding was just this predicament of Anchorage even before the quake, this this sense that everything about this community was provisional, that, you know, they were the biggest city in Alaska. They really thought that they were at the forefront of showing, you know, what this new state could offer the rest of America. But they also knew that they hadn't really figured out how to have a sustaining economy. Um, and there was this mix of aspiration and anxiety that that maybe this wasn't going to hold. Maybe, uh, you know, at some point, uh, as one guy put it to me, you know, we, we weren't all going to leave, but, you know, we might. <laughs> and right. uh, so what I think working on the book for so long just made me internalize 
this understanding that life is always jagging like this in, in one way or another. There's these swerves all over the place where something that's unimaginable suddenly becomes real life. Uh, I don't know if I was any better prepared for what's happening now. I'm not going to, I'm not going to claim that, but we all bring our own skill set to these moments of, of crisis. You know, Jeannie happened to have a job where she talked on the radio. She gathered information she distributed on the radio. That was exactly what was needed in the situation she walked into and she filled that role. So I think we just all need to look for those opportunities and do the best that we can with them. Well, John Mualem, thank you so much for joining us for the first ever Livewire House Party. Um, it's been really fun. The book is amazing, by the way. The book is This is Chance, The Shaking of an All-American City. Uh, thanks for talking to us. Uh, we release you now to go back to taking care of your children who are barely on the other side of a very thin bathroom door somewhere in your house. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. Bye, John. Bye. This is Livewire from PRX. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, and this is episode one of the Livewire House Party. We are recording the show from our actual homes. I'm in Bellingham, Washington, where I live. Elena Passarello is in Corvallis, Oregon. And of course, the listeners to Livewire are spread out wherever they are. Hope everybody is safe and doing okay. Um, we asked this week, uh, what is one non-essential thing that you wish you had more of? And the Livewire listeners sent in their answers via various social media. Elena Passarelli, you've been collecting those up. What are the Livewire listeners wishing they had more of? Something that's non-essential. Here's one from Tracy. Tracy says, face masks, but not the medical kind, but those sheet masks that you let soak on your face and that make you look like Jason from Friday the 13th. Do you know what we're talking about? No, I don't. Not to overly gender this, but that has totally missed me. They're these weird paper thin, they feel like wet paper towels and they have eye holes and a mouth hole and you, uh-huh. you leave it on there for, you know, 20 minutes and it's like a deep moisturizing. So like after you're on a plane or something and your skin feels all dry, you just throw one of those on. Sometimes people wear them on planes. That sounds upsetting. To if you're if you're not the person wearing the mask, yeah. it's like yeah, they've just wheeled Hannibal Lecter onto this flight. Another reason not to fly right now. Um, all right, what else are the uh, Livewire listeners saying? Here's one from uh, Ariana: Puppies for emotional support because Netflix and wine aren't doing the trick. I think that you know there are actually a lot of animal rescue organizations that are offering opportunities for people to foster animals. Um, because of course, oh. there's always uh, more animals that need homes than there are homes for them. And there are a lot of people right now who are stuck inside and could really use a friend. Uh, I know that that's a real thing, actually. So I don't know. I mean, would you consider, you've already got, you got yeah. too much going on with your cats yeah. as it is, I, right? I basically have an animal shelter in my house. So of course, each week we're going to be asking the audience to answer a question for us. Uh, but we even have some of our uh, previous favorite guests from Livewire checking in on this very topic. Bruce Campbell <laughs> from the Evil Dead movies took a moment to record himself at his house. You know, he lives on like this lavender farm out in the middle of nowhere in Oregon. Really? And Yeah. Uh, he told us about it on a previous episode of Livewire. So he actually recorded an answer to this question and sent it in. Take a listen to this. It's Bruce Campbell answering our audience question. Hi folks, this is Bruce Campbell from Ash vs. Evil Dead. The one non-essential item I wish I had more of is really, it's not so much an item, it's an activity. It's bowling. I want to bowl. I want to get back on those lanes and stink up the joint. Yep, 
I want to watch the nine-year-old girl beat drunk Uncle Joe, the bragger. That's what I want to do. But I get it. Hands all over balls, smelly feet everywhere, into strange shoes. I understand why they shut it down, but it doesn't make me happy. I need to get back out there because it's the great equalizer. The great fall and the humble rise. So hopefully, humble bowling can return to my lexicon because I miss it. And it's the one, quote, non-essential item I wish I had more of, even though I do consider it essential. That is the most Bruce Campbell answer to a question you could ever imagine. I just love the idea of him out on his lavender farm thinking about bowling. All right, let's invite our next guest over to this Livewire house party. Cheryl Strayed is, of course, the author of the stupendously successful memoir, Wild, uh, which also ended up being a movie starring Reese Witherspoon. Um, But she's also an expert advice giver. Um, She had a column in a podcast called Dear Sugar for many years. Uh, And so we were thinking that with everybody being kind of on edge right now, she might be the perfect person to calm us all down a little bit. Cheryl Strayed, welcome to the Livewire House Party. I'm so glad to be here. Livewire is always a house I want to be in, Luke. (laughs) I know. You've been such a great friend of the show over the years. And then here we are uh, in this sort of kind of maiden voyage of trying to do this new version of the show. And we said, uh, if there's somebody who's going to be able to help us out this week, it is Cheryl Strayed. So thanks for doing this. Oh, I'm just, I'm only sad that... I didn't get to sit in a grotty green room first and drink cheap <laughs> white wine out of a plastic cup. We can have a hazmat team bring some cheap wine over if, <laughs> if it makes you feel more like you're being on the regular version of the show. How are you How are you holding up with, with all of this kind of, uh, you know, being at home and not really having as much mobility as, as you're used to having? You know, I vacillate. I think like a lot of people, I, I have many different experiences and emotions in any given day. I go from feeling afraid and worried and anxious about about what's happening and, and especially about what's to come. I, I tend to be somebody who really likes to be in charge of everything. Mm. And the mm. pandemic has has sort of told me that I'm not, which is really sort of un- uncomfortable, right? And then other times I have had also these really beautiful moments where, mm. you know, I am trapped in a house with two teenagers mm. and like most teenagers, they've been trying to socially distance from me and their father for a couple of years now. So, um, <laughs> and now they're finally not successful at that. So, uh, you know, I think it's been really cool for us as a family to just be cooking meals together, mm. you know, and really basically spending time together and figuring out a way, uh, the new way. Does it feel like your kids are kind of reassessing that family connection, that thing that, that I mean, we were all teenagers at one point, and it's the last place you want to be, but then suddenly, you know, you're all trapped together. Are, are they showing up differently for these these meals? Yeah, it's, I guess the thing that's been both an argument between and among us, and also a, a point of kind of connection and beauty is, is really saying to them in this time that they're trapped and in some ways like held under the parental wing, if you will, we're also telling them you need to to step up to this moment and make a plan. 
Like you need to make a plan for your day. You're not going to just sit and watch episode after episode of Grey's Anatomy all day, which, you know, is fun to do. But at a certain point, yeah, that was my say, plan for getting through this. Can you come over to my house, Cheryl? I need, I need <laughs> this. I need this discipline. <laughs> we need this. And, but, you know, it's cool to actually put it in the kids' hands. These kids who go to school normally and who have their day structured for them, we're like, okay, you have to exercise every day. You have to make art every day. You have to read every day, you know, fill in the blank. You have to study algebra every day. And to put them in charge of it is pretty cool. Um, this is a, maybe a little bit of a weird question, but you famously hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. It was the basis of your book, Wild. Um, and there was a lot of kind of isolation in that, but it was almost the reverse of what we're a lot of us are going through right now. Is there anything from that experience, that solitude, that is actually carried over or has been informative to you about this version of your life? Yes, yes, there really has. I I thought about that as well, because of course I was seeking social isolation. I I wanted solitude. I wanted radical aloneness because I wanted to see what I would find there. And of course, it's a very different thing when when you're forced into that. And I I think that what, what really I learned on that hike is how, you know, that there are treasures there to be found if you're willing to get quiet enough and be patient enough uh, to listen to them, to find them. Um, I think that there's a very big difference between loneliness and being alone. Hmm. And really, you know, in so many ways, seeking that, that kind of sense of like, well, who, who am I, you know, in, in the deepest, in, what's the deepest voice saying to me? Mm-hmm. And being alone, being silent, being sort of stepping back from the world like so many of us are having to do now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's an opportunity to learn a lot about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to the Livewire House Party. This is episode one. I am Luke Burbank, recording from my actual house in Washington State. Our announcer, Elena Passarello, is at her house in Corvallis. Hi, Elena. Greetings from the Pillow Fort. <laughs> and also we are talking to writer Cheryl Strayed. Uh, Cheryl, you are, of course, well-known for your books, but you also, throughout your career, have really kind of moonlighted in being uh, an advice columnist. You had the Dear Sugar column. It was a podcast. It became the book, Tiny Beautiful Things. And this just felt like the week where we really could sort of use those skills. A lot of our listeners and just a lot of the people in this country are feeling very uncertain. So we put the call out online to ask the Livewire listeners if they had any questions for you, Cheryl. And, um, Boy, we got a lot of responses, and the reading of those questions was a pretty emotionally intense experience, I know, for me, for Elena, mm-hmm. uh, for our producers. Um, I, it had me wondering, what is that like for you when you're in advice columnist mode and you're just hearing about these challenges that people are facing that can really be a very intense experience? It's it's moving and intense, and there is a real sense of mission and service that I have. I think Mm. that 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 was always, for me, the most compelling thing when I was actively writing the column or doing the podcast is that I felt like in the form of Dear Sugar, I finally found this way to to join the two, I guess, calls I've always felt I had to be a writer, but also to be of service, to to extend Mm. a a kind of helping hand um, or an open heart uh, to someone who needed that. And so it's it's overwhelming. I hope that when you were reading those letters, you felt this this dual this dual sense of things that I often feel is you know real sorrow and, and um, 
sympathy for the people writing to you. But also that sense like, okay, we're going to answer some of these questions. We're going to do something. We're going to mm-hmm. try to illuminate that problem or offer some guidance on, on Livewire. Mm-hmm. So well, here we yeah. go. So let's do that. Let's do that right now, actually. Elena has a number of those questions, and uh, uh, she'll read them. And then, Cheryl, if we can kind of hear your advice uh, down the transom, that would be great. Awesome. Here is an anonymously submitted question. It reads, Dear Sugar, I have a 15-year-old daughter who visits her dad every other weekend, plus weekly dinners at my home. He lives with other people and also works with the public and has a girlfriend, so no social distancing. I feel very vulnerable as I'm a therapist who works in my own private practice. I need to stay healthy. I have zero safety net, but I also want my daughter to see her dad. She needs him too. Should I tell them they can't see each other until this is over? Wow. That's, it's, that's a really important question. And it, I, I think it's one question, my, at least my feeling about it is there's a pretty direct and, and easy answer to this one. And that is, you know, our first job as parents is to keep our kids safe. And it's not really this letter writer. It's not her against the father of her child. It's, it's really, she needs to really make clear that it's our public health experts, our, our leaders, our governors, our mayors, our, you know, the, the people who work at the CDC and who are all saying the same thing. And that is, we need to socially distance and we need to take it seriously and we need to do, mm-hmm. to do it now. Every day that we delay doing that has a public health impact and maybe a personal health one too. Mm-hmm. And so what I, the advice I would give to this, this woman who's writing to us is to say, you know, she needs to really have a very serious conversation with her daughter's father and say, look, you know, I want to nurture this relationship between the two of you and we need to work out a way to do that, that honors um, her safety. And maybe that's Skyping, you know, with Mm -hmm. the dad for this time where she's, you know, staying with her mom. Maybe the father, if he really can't bear to be away from his daughter, um, does what several of my friends have done. People who work, whose partners are nurses or doctors have actually, you know, rented an Airbnb for the month. Mm-hmm. To so that they're not exposing themselves to family members um, who they'd be putting at risk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's kind of a drastic measure. I, the great thing about a teenager is, you know, they're great on FaceTime. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I said Skype, but my kid, my own teens would be like, oh, mom, nobody Skypes, you know. So yeah. they would FaceTime or TikTok or snippety Snapchat, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> my kids won't allow me to, to, join Snapchat because they don't want to see my beautiful face in that forum. But, um, <laughs> you know, I just think that she needs to to not make this a kind of wrestling match between her and her ex that's over, like, who loves mm-hmm. the kid more, or who does the kid love more, or who, who whose relationship is important. This is just a, simply about health. Mm-hmm. And we know that there really is very cr- clear directives being given right now about staying, mm-hmm. you know, avoiding contact with as many people as possible. That makes me think of this this other kind of related problem that I've heard a lot of people are experiencing where they have to be kind of bossy, not with partners or ex-partners, but with elders, parents, right? Yeah. Um, my, 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 I have parents that I am concerned about, and they have parents that are still alive that they're concerned about. My 90-year-old wow. extrovert gran- granddad is like, gonna go to the dry cleaners. So what's the mantra for 
like bucking yourself up to talk to a member of your intimate family, like the letter writer's uh, partner, ex-partner and daughter or our parents. How do you how do you psych yourself up or how do you tell yourself that it's okay to be a little bossy with people with whom you have that kind of relationship? I think the difference is, you know, when you have a when you have an argument that's about your emotional truth or reality or your your personal opinion, um, I think that that's a very different kind of argument than the one we're talking about here, okay. where we are really, this is an evidence-based argument. <laughs> there is there is an argument that, that actually we, we know that the way this virus spreads is by close contact with others. Um, and we know that the way to contain it is to stay away from as many people as possible. We know that whoever you are, you know, in physical contact with becomes a member of your viral family. And so the question is, would you like to have your daughter's viral family be two people? Or would you like to have it be 10 plus whoever else you happen to come into contact that day? And I think that that's an argument that can be used um, in this case with this letter writer's ex, but also with your parents and your grandparents that, yes, you've always gone and done that thing that you like to do, but we're in different times. And the mm -hmm. evidence tells us in the case with older people, not only is it important to socially distance, but if you don't, you're really at, you know, you're in a high risk category. Mm -hmm. And the argument um, is, is there, there really is no argument. It's, it's about what you need to do for yourself and for the greater good. Mm -hmm. What we've been doing in my family is organizing a Saturday all family Zoom conference meeting. Yeah. And then we know where my parents are because we can physically see that they're indoors. So we can monitor them, and then we gently browbeat them into staying indoors. <laughs> so, Luke, has your ha, have your parents also been kind of difficult when it comes to social distancing? Difficult might be overstating it, but I, it's been it's been a challenge to impress upon them that like this is not a good time to go to Goodwill, even though there are some mm -hmm. screaming deals. I mean, mm -hmm. this is back when you even could do yeah. that but like mm -hmm. there it, there is generationally something i've experienced in my family where the i'm one of seven kids and and me and my siblings are all very concerned about the safety of our parents and we're all very much trying to stay socially distant and my parents are doing it but i think mostly so we will leave them alone about it so whatever works i should say too um because my father, Tony Passarello, is a huge fan of the show. Dad, you're doing a great job. So, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> this is Livewire Radio. It's actually the Livewire House Party, episode one. This is our uh, first full show where we're recording from our respective homes. I'm Luke Burbank up here in Bellingham, Washington, in Corvallis, Oregon, is Elena Passarello, our announcer, and in Portland is the writer Cheryl Strayed, who's been nice enough to join us this week and give some advice to the Livewire listeners. Elena's got another question that was submitted uh, via social media. This submission reads, Dear Sugar, of all the strangest experiences in my life, departing the Pacific Crest Trail after hiking the initial 110 miles because of the pandemic is near the top of the list. The urgency became apparent as I represented a danger to the people of the trail communities, despite the trail itself being one of the safest places in these times of self-quarantining. With all of the logistics required to attempt a through-hike, I'm not sure if the opportunity may reasonably present itself again in the next 10 years. So here's the question. How does one go about modifying a long-standing dream to fit the realities of circumstances beyond one's control? 
Is my disappointment justified? Oh. Cheryl, Cheryl, are you per, are you familiar with the Pacific Crest Trail? <laughs> I'm, I'm familiar with the Pacific Crest Trail, otherwise known as the beloved PCT. And what this letter writer is saying um, when he he or she do do we know the, the okay when um, we're just going to call her a she because I'm a she. Um, what what she's saying about the trail community is, of course, just to, just so your listeners are clear about this, is when you're hiking a long trail, you're you know you're in the remote wilderness when you're on the trail. But but you have to also pass through towns and communities, and sometimes it's just a post office and a bar and a grocery store or something. But you're, you know, periodically passing through these populated places so you can pick up your resupply box and your food and so forth. And so that's where the problem comes in. Uh, if you could just live in the wilderness and hike, you'd be fine during this time. But of course, you can't. So um, I think it was wise to stop this hike. I'm glad that, that long distance hikers and the, that those hikers out of the PCT are, are stopping those hikes right now. But yeah, I mean, I think you're not alone in being disappointed about a dream being crushed. I'm thinking so much right now about, about all the, the high school and college seniors who were entering the last couple of months of their, you know, high school or college years and, and how crushing it is that they don't get to have those festivities and ceremonies or any number of people, people who have planned weddings during this time, people who had big trips or journeys. I myself am booked to go to Wales on a long hike in July. And I've yet, I've not yet officially canceled, but I can see that coming. And, and it's disappointing. I think it's especially crushing. I know what a, what a feat it is to logistically plan a, a long distance hike of the sort that you need to plan when you're going to go out on the PCT for five months or so. And what I would say to you is, uh, first of all, you know, be disappointed, uh, know that you're not alone, Exp- you know, do what you need to do to, to, to get over that. It's not the first time you've been disappointed and it won't be the last. Um, so go, you know, scream into the, <laughs> the wilderness or a paper bag or whatever you do. Talk to your friends about it, bitch about it, complain about it, all the things that you do. And then realize that so many are, with you. So many others are, you know, you're not there alone mm. and that there will be another day. This is the most important thing. There are adventures to be had that we'll, that we'll get to have when this pandemic is over. The Pacific Crest Trail has been there for many years and it will continue to be there. You can still go walk on it, um, it you know, when it's safe to do so. And yes, logistically, it's hard to have to remount that trip, but it can be done. And it can be done in different ways, too. You don't have to hike the, the whole PCT at once to get it done. You can go, you did the first 110 miles. Maybe next summer you can do another 110. And every summer after that until it's done. There are all these ways that this moment is forcing us to rethink what we thought we could control. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a powerful lesson in itself. Very humbling. You thought you'd be on the PCT this summer. You don't get to be. Mm-hmm. Then what? That is always a moment of beautiful opening and opportunity when you answer that question. That makes me think about uh, some things that I've seen around uh, in various communities of people providing, like you said, these other opportunities to engage, maybe not in the ideal way, but engage with people's dreams. Um, You know, one of the high school things that happens when you're a senior and that I experienced was the big high school musical. And usually Mm. when you're a senior, you get to play like the biggest role you've gotten to play. But um, Lin-Manuel Miranda and I think Laura Bell Bundy, this kind of Tony winning Broadway actress, they both said, tape yourselves, high school students singing your big number 
and and put it on Twitter and I will watch them all and I will be oh. your audience and I will comment. So they, oh, that's so lovely. <laughs> they got these Broadway legends. They didn't get the ho- the hometown audience that they probably were hoping for, but they got, you know, the the biggest uh names in Broadway uh witnessing their hard work um and i feel like that i mean it's not probably what they originally intended but what a wonderful way to cope with this unexpected uh time i love it you peep you're right elena people are getting really creative yeah i mean look at us here on this show in this house yes. party this isn't the way you do it either and i'm sure when you first made that decision like we're gonna have to shut down our our live recordings and yeah. you're you're all bummed about that because it's like the way you do it and it's so much fun but then something else happens and and you don't know yet. You know, one of the things I wrote in Tiny Beautiful Things in one of my Dear Sugar columns is more will be revealed. And I think that that's a really important thing for us, all of us to hold on to in this era where there is so much uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And what what we do know is we're going to know a lot more <laughs> Uh, as things reveal themselves. And some of those things are going to be lessons that we wish we hadn't had to learn. And some Mm -hmm. of them will be beautiful. And some of them will be the things that save us and that that allow us to go forward after this in a new and exciting and and powerful way. Absolutely. This is uh, the Livewire House Party. It's our first episode of doing this. I'm Luke Burbank at my house, Elena Passarello is at her house in Corvallis, Oregon. Cheryl Strayed has been nice enough to join us uh, to give some advice to listeners of the show who are uh, in a bit of a quandary. Uh, What's the next question, Elena, that uh, was sent in? When the world is all but burning around us, how do you find the motivation to write? Writing feels almost pointless at times when there are so many other concrete things we could be doing to help others. In all of this, how do you write? Well, you know, first of all, what I want to say is I completely disagree with the the notion that that writing isn't a concrete thing that can help others. When I think about the things that have saved me, that have consoled me, that have told me I'm not alone, that have made me feel like, I guess I'm just going to say the word that came to mind was that made me feel loved uh, in a in a sort of larger way. It's stories. It's literature. It's the books and the poems and the essays that saw me or that allowed me to see someone else that I, that I couldn't or wouldn't have seen otherwise, but for their story or for that sentence or that image. You know, we have that phrase like, you know, books, you know, books save us or art saves mm-hmm. us or, you know, I believe that. That is my religion. My religion is that, that we are saved by each other's stories, by each other's suffering, by each other's beauty. And all of that is given to us in the form of writers sitting down, not only at this moment, but yes, at this moment, and telling us what we need to know, telling us what we need to hear. And I, for one, am deeply committed to doing that. I am going to write like a, and I can't say the word on the radio, but I think those of you who are sugar fans know uh-huh. what that word is. We could say mother trucker. Like a mother trucker, man. Yeah, the live wire house party, mother trucker is totally fine. So, you know, I, I always think... Th- this question about writers comes up all the time at, at times of crisis. You know, uh, people will be like, how, how can we write when, you know, I should be doing this or that? We all can't, we can't all be doing the same thing. If You know, nurses and doctors are amazing and I'm so grateful to them. Police officers, paramedics, all the people who help us on those front lines, we need them desperately. We can't all be that same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think our work is always to say, what is it that I have to give? What is it that mm-hmm. I do best? What is my work here? And then do that, give that, work at that. 
I have a deadline, a big deadline for a project. I'm writing, I'm writing a screenplay and it's due actually on May 15th. Mm. So that's less than two months from now. The world is burning. <laughs> There's a <laughs> pandemic. I have two teenagers. I'm also supposed to somehow homeschool and cook for and, you know, everything else. And I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to finish that screenplay on time. I'm going to do it. Wow. And I ask all of the listeners who have anything like that where they, they think, okay, I can't, I can't, I can't because I'm so distracted by the news to say, we will, we will, we will, we must, we must, we must do it with me. I need, you know, I'm afraid too. You know, every time I think about that deadline, I kind of want to faint because I'm scared. Mm -hmm. But the promise I'm making to myself is that I will continue on my, on my work. I will, I will carry out my mission of using language and story to, to tell truth and, and beauty, to give truth and beauty to the world. Are there any tips for how to get into your art brain when all of this stuff that's happening is sort of making your brain do other things? Yeah, you just have to be a motherfucker. I mean, you really, <laughs> you really have to just say, okay, I'll say a radio friendly thing. Yeah, you just have to be disciplined. You know, you really have to decide that this is important and you have to do it and to not make excuses. I think a lot of us, you know, want to, it's really fun to just get in your PJs and, and watch Shit's Creek. I love that, 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 I love doing that. But, um, you know, make a, make a schedule, make a promise to yourself, follow through, do it. Don't think about it. Don't spend too much time on Twitter or whatnot and just get to work. And it's hard. I, I, I just want to know, I want you to know that I say this with all humility because it is also my challenge every day. And I am the laziest person who ever lived, who ever walked this earth. I promise you. But if I can do it, you can do it. I have to say, Cheryl, that it's been so nice of you to join us on the show this week. And I had no idea that you were also under a writing deadline. So it's like even nicer. Mm -hmm. If the screenplay is not finished and it's because you were doling out advice to the Livewire house party listeners, I'm going to feel terrible. So <laughs> I've already decided, Luke, I would just blame it on you. Okay, good. You know yeah. what? Maybe that's the service that I'm able to provide is an excuse for Cheryl Strayed to not turn her screenplay in on time. If that's my contribution, I make it I make it willingly and with love. I'm forever grateful. This is the Livewire house party uh, doing the show from our respective homes, which is what we're going to be doing for the foreseeable future. Um, thank you so much for spending the time with us. Uh, I'm Luke Burbank with Elena Passarello and... Cheryl Strayed. Cheryl uh, is answering some questions from you, the Livewire listening community. Elena, you've got those uh, in front of you. What's uh, the next advice question? Dear Sugar, I am struggling with anger and judgment in a way that I am not familiar with. As a healthcare provider, an active participant in my community, and a lover of almost all human life, staying home and away from people seems like a doable, albeit extremely difficult, thing to do for a potentially very positive outcome. And while it makes sense to me that I'm frustrated with people who blatantly ignore the advice of government and Western medicine, I am surprised by my anger and judgment of the people who are trying to adhere to these ideas, but in my mind, keep doing them wrong. Am I broken? Currently, yes. Am I wrong <laughs> to speak up or should I keep quiet? How do I look past these slights and spread the love I know everyone within a long arm's reach of me needs? With love, broken. <laughs> well, I think broken, you're not alone. And feeling judgmental, uh, you know, I, I, I too feel judgmental. I was walking the other day past in, in my neighborhood park, socially distant, 
you know, from everyone around me. Yeah. But there were all these crowds of people playing basketball and soccer. And, you know, I felt I just, I wanted to strike them dead with my, with my judgment. <laughs> Not really, but I felt that burning sense of judgment that we feel when we know that we're right and they're wrong and we're behaving appropriately and they're behaving inappropriately. But so where do we put that? The question, I think your question is twofold. One, should you speak up? The other, how do you manage these feelings? Because you don't, you know that that feeling doesn't really serve you. It, it just kind of burns in your core. It makes you feel annoyed and be grumpy to your, your you know, everyone around you, the very few people around you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I would say first, you know, speak up in a, in, in the context that I think that it will be done, do the most good. And also that you're able to deliver it in, in the most neutral, emotionally neutral way. You probably don't want to get in an argument with the, the kids playing basketball. Like I didn't go up to them and say, hey, kids, what are you doing? Because that probably wouldn't have ended well. But can you use your networks, your social media platforms, your email you know, to sort of spread information? Again, not from you, but from the authorities, the officials, the experts who know that socially distancing matters. I would use, I would do that. That will make you feel like you're doing something good. And maybe that will kind of lift some of that um, reliance on, on personal judgment against others. Another thing I would do, and I think this is really applies to almost all of us who are really struggling with negative emotions that don't serve us. Things like anxiety, fear, shame, judgment, those are all in the same kind of bucket that like don't really allow us to sleep or move forward or be positive in our days that we, that we do all the things we do to manage that exercise, meditate, you know, what do, you know, take, take a walk, you know, and clear your mind. Think about positive things. Think about things that make you feel grateful. And I find when I just make that mental shift, what I shift away from is that sense of judgment. Another one is empathy. You know, mm-hmm. very often the reason that people make those decisions like play basketball in a group isn't because they, they want to do something bad or they want to harm you or others is that they just don't know. You know, a lot of the people, like a lot of teens and young people, for example, took a little longer to get to this social distancing. It wasn't because they have evil in their hearts. It's because it's really hard for them to conceptualize this really difficult thing, which is to say, you can't be around most of the people you care about and love and like. And, you know, it just took them a little longer to get there. So, you know, try to have compassion and empathy for those people who are making different choices than you and know that those choices are not rooted in any sense of evil or harm. Um, they're usually rooted in a kind of ignorance. I'll tell you a, a brief story along those lines, which is that I tend to do a jog in my neighborhood, which is kind of borders a park, and it's very wooded. And two days ago, I went on the jog, and there was a guy in the park who I just felt like was kind of walking in the middle of the trail for no reason, which felt extremely selfish of him. And I went way out of the way to avoid him, and I kind of went up, onto the side of the hill to just have my social distance. And for the rest of my jog, I was just thinking like, what a jerk. And then this morning I passed the same guy and he actually did move over a little bit. And I realized that two days ago, he wasn't trying to put me in danger or send me a message. He just, his head was probably somewhere else. This time he did move over a little bit and he looked at me and he said, good morning, as I was just like huffing and puffing past him. And I had a completely different relationship with him in my mind based on the interaction I had with him today versus yesterday, you know? And I feel like there's little versions of that happening all the time. Maybe a lot of people don't get day two 
with that person that's in the grocery store standing too close or who is in some way making them feel unsafe and kind of triggered. Um, but I'm glad that I didn't scream at the guy yesterday because it would have made today very awkward when we passed each other again. <laughs> totally. And, you know, I think that that's such a great example. Like, you know, we, we often take things personally that are not meant personally. Like mm. this man wasn't actually thinking, ha ha ha, you know, I'm going to try to give you the coronavirus or get it from you and ruin the, you know, he's just not for whatever reason, doesn't have the same, well, because he's a different person. He doesn't have the same experience or consciousness of you in that moment. And it's not a personal affront against you. It's that he's just not maybe received that same information that you have. Yeah. I mean, I think most important to this segment is the fact that I was able to subtly brag about jogging two days in a row. I know. Way to go, Um, Burbank. I I think (laughs) I consider this a very successful uh, live wire house party. This is a, 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 an important question. Like, are you guys getting more exercise, less exercise, or the same amount of exercise? Because I'm getting pretty tired of all my friends on Facebook posting about how they did yoga every day <laughs> since the pandemic started. I am not getting any vigorous ex- exercise done at all. Uh, mm-hmm. The stuff that I should probably be doing, like strength stuff, you know, big cardio. But I take I a really long... I, I can't not take this walk. Like I find myself putting my shoes on yeah. even when it's raining, like an hour long walk every day. Like it's very obvious that it's some part of my body other than my interest in bathing suit season or whatever <laughs> needs me to go outside and take that walk. Are you, and you sounds like you're doing the same thing, Cheryl, you're taking walks yeah, too. I, I always walk, but mental health. I mean, I think right now we really need to go on our walks or do that yoga. I'm sort of mocking my friends that do yoga every day. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to do that as well, honestly. I, I mean, I do think it's important that, you know, we know that there's that mind-body connection and we we tend, our minds tend to settle when we actually move our bodies. So yeah, I, I'm trying to do that with in a non-braggy way, unlike Luke, who's bragging about that. Well, I mean, I, I have said at the beginning of this, I'm going in one of two directions. Either at the end of this, I'm going to look like Kumail Nanjiani uh, getting ready for his new oh, superhero yeah. film, or I'm going to look like Marlon Brando getting ready for Apocalypse Now. <laughs> there's there's no middle ground for me. I have thought the same thing, actually, because, and I'm kind of doing both, you know, walking <laughs> every day, also eating a half a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream every day. Oh, so my God. We'll yeah. Well, Cheryl Strayed, thank you so much for taking time out of your actually busy schedule to help us and the Livewire listeners out this week. Thank you, Cheryl. Oh, thank you. It was such a delight to be on. And you never know, maybe Dear Sugar will be coming back. Yeah, I mean, we need we need you right now, I'll tell you. So <laughs> thanks again, Cheryl. Bye-bye. Stay safe. See ya. That was the incredible Cheryl Strayed. All right, we've got to take a quick break. You are listening to the Livewire House Party, Episode 1. I'm Luke Burbank at my house. Elena Passarello is over at her place. And we will be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Hey, special thanks this episode to Nathan Corser and Kristen Miner of Portland, Oregon, and Dennis Hamlet of Portland, Oregon. Nathan, Kristen, and Dennis are part of the Livewire member community, and they generously support our show with a donation each month. We are extremely grateful for that support because it's genuinely what allows us to keep this show going, even the weeks we're doing it from our house. A big thanks to Nathan, Kristen, and Dennis for supporting Livewire.
Welcome back to Livewire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank, your host this week. Episode one of what we are calling the Livewire House Party. For the foreseeable future, I'm going to be at my house here in Bellingham, Washington. Elena Passarello will be at her house in Corvallis, Oregon. And we'll have people joining us from wherever they might be. And, you know, what would a house party be without a little music? Um, And, Elena, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I certainly have a lot of musicians I know are, of course, sort of trapped at home. And a lot of them are composing all kinds of music. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, in a way, a prime time to be making music because we don't have anywhere else to be. I noticed on Twitter that an old friend of mine, a guy named Charlie Brand from the band Miniature Tigers, is working on an entire new album while he is stuck at home. So I thought uh, we should dial him up and see how it's going. Hey, Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, Luke. You are where right now? I am in Los Angeles in my uh, in my house here. And you, I know your band Miniature Tigers, you guys were just on a big tour. Uh, did you feel any kind of weirdness around shows and stuff at the end, or did you guys finish just ahead of this? Yeah, so our tour ended February 15th, and while we were on tour is when you kind of started hearing about the, the corona thing, and I'm grateful we finished the tour when we did, because I have friends who are, you know, in smaller bands like we are, and were on tour and had to cancel their tours and, you know, instead of making what little money they make during the year, had to go into debt. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what are the kinds of things that you're hearing from your fellow musician friends about how they're uh, financially trying to just keep slightly afloat right now? I think a lot of bands, especially at this level, they make their money from touring. You know, we don't make a lot of money from streams. It's more just touring. So I think everybody's a little freaked out and doesn't really know what to do. I've talked to a lot of friends that have albums coming out around this time, and they're not sure if it's cool to promote it. They feel weird, you know, saying like, buy my album when there's, you know, this pandemic happening. Um, I mean, my stance on that is that I, I, I feel like I try to imagine being quarantined without music or movies or TV, and I feel... I think everybody would lose their mind. So I think people should be releasing music and making art and trying to put as much stuff out there. And, you know, I'm not going to hear about it unless you promote it. So I feel like people should be just put, plug in their music right now or, or movies or art or whatever they're making. Yeah. So when did you get the idea to try to record an album during this quarantine? I was ready to make an album before the quarantine. And then I think something about this just made me feel less precious about it and less let me spend a year making this and a whole, you know, three month album cycle promoting it. I just want to make something and put it out because frankly I have nothing else to do and I'm bored and uh I've got a lot of stuff to say. It's not a it's not a quarantine album. It's not about it's not like a political thing, like observing the uh the empty streets and What's going on with society right now? It's not that kind I'm of sure thing. I'm sure Bruce Springsteen will have that covered yeah, anyway. Yeah, Bruce so. Springsteen's got that, so I'm not going to try to step on his toes. Um, the quarantine is more of a uh, you know a backdrop, I think. You had mentioned to me when we were chatting earlier about how this is a breakup record. Yeah. You're going through a breakup. Uh-huh. Um, what's it like going through a breakup during the COVID epidemic? It's interesting. I think uh, I have a lot of friends that their exes are reaching out to them and right now because it's a scary time and everyone I think is feeling a little emotionally uh, vulnerable. I don't know if it's better or worse. I know I'm not going to run into her anywhere, 
which is <laughs> put that in the plus category. Yeah, put that in the plus category. Um, but you know, then I have moments where I wish I did have an opportunity to run into her somewhere. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so you have been uh, writing some music while trapped in your place in mm-hmm. L.A., and we're actually going to hear a song that you've been working on. Uh, what's the name of the song? The song is called Bloomless. Um, and I started writing this uh, before we were all quarantined and then finished it. Well, it's almost finished. I'm going to my, – my goal is to finish recording it this week and maybe release it this weekend, hopefully. Okay, so this is Charlie Brand from Miniature Tigers uh, playing here on the Livewire House Party. I'm miserable, tangled in the sheets 35 with a mattress on the floor Called Heidi on FaceTime yesterday I'm not crying, it's just my allergies That was fiction just like my freedom was I just needed time Now my worldview is so negative Without you my life is bloomless, bloomless Flowers don't grow
day without you is a living hell. Homeless, homeless. Flowers don't grow since you went away. 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 Charlie Brand of Miniature Tigers right here on the Livewire House Party down in uh, Los Angeles, California. Can I ask you a real question? Did you really lose the bed frame in the breakup? It's yeah, that is true. Oh, brutal. <laughs> what like uh, what is the policy on me shipping you one? I I have a new bed frame. Yeah, no, I have a be- I have a bed frame. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, Charlie, good to see you, brother. All right, love you, Luke. Thanks for having me. That is going to do it. For the Livewire House Party, episode one. Thank you so much, everybody, for um, spending the time with us. I'm Luke Burbank. We are going to be back next week with another edition of the show. By the way, a huge thanks to our guests this week, Cheryl Strayed, John Mualam, and, of course, Charlie Brand. Livewire is brought to you in part by Foley, Alaska Airlines, and the Jupiter Hotel. And I just want to say, uh, before we go, that... This completely new version of our show could not have happened without the flexibility and creativity and hard work of our amazing Livewire staff. Who are we talking about, Passarello? Oh, we're talking about Laura Haddon, our executive producer, Tim Harkins, our production director, our producer and editor, who's Melanie Sevchenko, and Ariana Donneville, our marketing associate. Caitlin Kunkel is our writer, and Molly Pettit is our awesome technical director. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. Our show is made possible by the generous support of our members. This week, we'd like to thank member Kenan Williams of Kenmore, Washington. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast or sign up for our newsletter, head on over to livewireradio.org. For Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew, This is Luke Burbank. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Take care of yourselves and each other. And we'll see you next week. PRX. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.